Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional, and those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. According to the World Prison Brief at prisonstudies.org, the United States has the largest prison population in the world and the highest per capita incarceration rate. While we could discuss the ethics of such a system, today is really here to discuss the consequences of those systems, or at least one of the consequences, which is essentially unhirable candidates uh, that are from among the formerly incarcerated. A job seeker's incarceration becomes a matter of public record, except in certain specific cases, comes up on even the most cursory background checks. And while many have tried to make things more fair for these candidates, the truth is, is that the formerly incarcerated have serious difficulties landing jobs um, and, and even more difficulty landing the jobs they want. In this episode, we're going to explore why the perspective of not hiring the formerly incarcerated is misguided and results in the loss of potentially wonderful talent with two experts. Our first guest is Harley Blakeman. He is the founder and CEO of Honest Jobs, an organization dedicated to getting jobs for people that have been affected by the criminal justice system. And we are also have with us today Arthur Yamamoto. He is the VP of Talent at Checker Incorporated, an organization dedicated to giving every candidate a fair chance to work. Harley, Arthur, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. It really is a pleasure. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us, Jim. You're most welcome. It's my pleasure. Uh, before we start talking about sort of the inequity that's baked into this whole situation, I just wanted to dispel some of the myths surrounding uh, hiring the formerly incarcerated. Um, first of all, the question is, um, is there something inherently bad about um, the formerly incarcerated as it pertains to them being employees? I mean, I, I can jump in and say, uh, as far as my experience with Checker, no. Um, I think if there's a challenge, it would just be that for our reentry folks, some of them um, have not been in a tech company environment and, and require a little more of a ramp up time, but um, we've had amazing success um, just both from a cultural standpoint and from an actual productivity standpoint mm. in, in terms of retention rates being higher, um, a third of our fair chance folks being promoted in the first 12 months, several have been promoted four or five times in their tenures. Uh, so, so it's been wildly successful for us. I, I think the only other challenge for us is is getting more pipeline um, to find uh, great fair chance talent. Hmm. Anything to add? Uh, yeah, I would add that no, I don't believe there's anything inherently bad about them. And to Arthur's point, you know, we're a small company, we're a young startup, uh, but I think about eighty percent of our employees right now have felony convictions. Everyone, except for one of our employees, everyone in our company has been arrested and has some type of criminal record. And we've got extremely loyal and talented people. And then, uh, you know, so that's the important part is seeing companies who are actually doing it and doing it right. And it's working and they're not getting sued. They're not having employees like hurting each other or causing damage to the property. But then there's also just like you said, the moral piece that like humans make mistakes. We're all capable of making mistakes and we're all capable of redeeming ourselves and the best people you'll probably ever meet in your life are people who have overcome tremendous obstacles and it's powerful. So I, I don't think there's anything inherently bad. You know, 
the question is a little disingenuous, but that is the probably the number one myth that I hear, you know, and the number one reason uh, I, I, I can't prove this because I don't have, you know, I didn't do any studies on it, but it's got to be the number one reason why people don't want to hire ex-cons is their perception of who these people are. I mean, it's part of that perception that makes it so easy to dismiss uh, prisoner issues in the first place, you know, just general like living conditions and and the whole food situation and the, the unfairness that is often present. It's easier for someone to say, well, they got arrested. They did something bad. They're bad people. I don't have to think about this anymore, you know, and obviously that can't possibly be, can't possibly be the case, you know, um, not for everybody. So, you know, I just wanted to get, get that out there in the front because that's really what I've heard and what I've read. And I've talked to some other folks about this too, is that they can be some of the best, some of the best employees. I mean, for one thing, there's a matter of motivation, right? Um, it's my understanding that if you're out on probation, you have to be employed, right? And so, and then part of getting your life back together again demands employment. You know, whatever case that, whatever situation you find yourself in when you get out of prison um, or get out of incarceration, employment is a critical part towards a towards finding or building a new life. So they need jobs just like just like anybody else. Um, there's not really a question there. It's just, I wanted to make clear that I didn't believe, I didn't believe that myself. I just, that's what I hear, you know? Um, I guess I want to talk about, do you guys have a sense of, I don't know. Do you guys have a sense of what the, what the hangups are that other people have? When they, you know, what are the questions they're asking you when they're considering hiring, hiring a fair hire? I think the natural question that I've seen, certainly even from uh, within Checker, uh, are people want to know what, what folks got arrested for, right? And what, what the charges were, um, mm. as if uh, there's some direct correlation uh, to, to what action they may take. Um, and you know, ultimately, that's not something that we share. Uh, that and, and you know, we we have our own review process and time, nature, time studies that we do. And um, I think at the end of the day, if people have served their time and, and shown the the right signs of rehabilitation, and everyone deserves the opportunity to make a fair living, right? And and uh, as you mentioned, I think we just find that. When you have folks who've been marginalized and, and have struggled to find employment and you give them that opportunity, they almost always reward you with their best, right? And they give they give you their best effort and they want to be successful. They want to rebuild their lives. And, and um, Checker as a company has tremendously benefited, uh, not just from a perception uh, perspective, but actually from a productivity perspective, right? Like we're, we're getting people's best efforts and, um, and who better than folks who are just as impacted to, to help, um, really revolutionize a product, a background check product that really is designed to 
discriminate in a lot of ways, right? And, and you know, our goal yeah. is to make that a fair process and, and who better to help with that than folks who've been justice impacted. So, so it's been in, incredibly rewarding for us. <clears throat> I'd like to add something if I can, as to, to Arthur's point, when I was in business school, so, you know, I went to prison when I was 18 years old for four. I, I spent 14 months in prison when I was 18. And, uh, when I, when I got out and I went to college in business school, I took courses on interviewing. So they have a course where you can like learn how to get your first job out of college. And they taught us that you have to learn behavioral based questions. And the thesis of a behavioral based question is what you have done in the past, we can expect you to do in the future. So if you can give me examples of times that you did great things, in the interview, you can say, I did this at this company and this was the outcome. They'll say, oh, they'll come and do that for me. So immediately in college, I was like, oh, this is bad because they're going to say he committed crimes in the past. He's going to commit crimes in the future. But just generally, the behavioral based question is a little bit of a trap because you don't want your employees to be the same person tomorrow that they were yesterday. You want them to be even better than they were, right? You want to be able to promote them and make them lead your organization. So the whole idea of expecting to Arthur's point, they want to know what your criminal record was because immediately their their bias, their human instinct tells them, okay, that's what I need to be careful about is they might steal from me because they stole from somebody in the past or they might hit somebody on the, on the plant floor because they don't know how to maintain their temper. And it's just not true. Some of these people are the most humble and they co- they're really coming looking for a strategic partner, right? They're looking for someone who says, I know who you are and I'm okay with that you're valuable. So uh, I like that Arthur pointed that out. So true. Uh, And I question the whole assumption that behavioral based questions are the best approach to finding great talent. One of the things that, you know, I keep thinking about as you guys are talking is, you know, this concept of you do your time, you pay your dues. I mean, that's how it's supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be you, you, you know, whether it was just or not, you, you do the time you've, sort of made your amends to society and and now you're supposed to be able to just move on and and start your life again or or pick it up or start a new one whatever it is you know and clearly that is not how people look at it you know um you're talking about biases in the hiring process i mean look at how many people have had to lobby and fight just to get that ban the box law and it's only in i'm actually not sure it's only in some of the states it's not even ubiquitous and it's because of that idea, like we, and there's a lot of HR technology and a lot of, a lot of recruiting technology that's surrounded on trying to figure out what kind of employee you're going to be before you step through the door automatically, never mind what the interviewer thinks. So you can just start to see, I mean, you guys know very well how, how that can impact, impact somebody and then their decision-making process. I would like to, if at all possible, talk about ban the box because it's something I don't really get a pers- I ever get this other perspective on. Um, what are your guys' feelings on, on that approach? Do you think it works? Should it be ubiquitous? Any thoughts, Arthur? In terms of banning the box, I absolutely believe that they should be uh, standard. Um, I, I, I don't know what benefit you get out of having that question on an employment application. Um, so it, I don't really have much more to add other than, yeah, I, I don't believe it exi- should exist. I, I agree with Arthur on that. I think that it should be everywhere. 
I applaud the, the cities and states that have adopted it. However, I do not believe it addresses the issue. Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a nod. It's a polite gesture, but it's not actually solving the problem. Because I can tell you what it does is it's just making companies waste people's time even more. And it's making companies waste their own resources even more because the only thing that actually changes is if they change their policy and their procedures. So just because the, the government said you're not allowed to ask them right now just means they're going to find out later and they've wasted more of their time and they've wasted more of the applicant's time and you know potentially hurt their feelings even more because they got their hope up. Uh, yeah. So, so I think it's a catch-22. I think it, it is the right thing to do, but I also don't think that it actually draws... Uh, addresses the root cause. And I've got kind of a little more radical view on this. And I'm sure, uh, you know, not everyone would agree with this, but I don't see the purpose in having publicly available criminal records at all. Uh, Once you've done your time, I I think that you should be able to, like you said, the underlying idea of our criminal justice system is that you do your time, you're a free citizen again. And all that a criminal record does is allows people to discriminate against you. That being said, we, we, you know, there could be like medical uh, professions or childcare professions where they're, they're exempt or they're allowed to do background checks and, and look into that. But, you know, there's no reason why retailers and construction companies and stuff need to look into every applicant's background, in my opinion, because if they've done their time and they're a free citizen, it's the background check is, primarily used for judgment yeah. if they should hire a candidate. And I know that obviously that conflicts with the idea that Checker, I think Checker's a great company. They're doing great things, but that's my, you know, my, my 50 year vision of what the criminal justice system should be doing is setting people up for success afterwards. And I think the background, especially the word felony is only used to, to hold people down in my opinion. Yes. I mean, it's <laughs> when it, no, I, I personally, I agree. I think that, you know, with, with some, some caveats, um, you know, if someone's pathologically criminal, you know, you gotta, or if it comes to like, you know, pedophilia or something like that, you know, we have systems in place for tracking what, what are deemed to be dangerous individuals when they get out of, out of prison. So why, why not, you know, lean on that? And it, and yeah, like I said, I know it's a little it's a little extreme to talk about it this way, but I think the government can have the ability to know who those people are. But there's no reason for a small business owner to be able to know that you had a petty theft charge from four years ago or a drug 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 charge from you know a year ago. If you've done your time and you're out, I don't think people should be using that to discriminate. Uh, and it's not discriminatory in the legal sense, but it's discriminatory in the practical sense that, you know, people use that information to make a, a judgment of if that's the right person for the job. And it's really not all that relevant. Uh, so I, it's one of those things where when from an HR perspective, you don't you're not really supposed to want to know these identifying facts about your candidates. Like, for example, you don't want to know and people go through a great length to sort of um, purge uh, applicant information like things that identify your class, you know, your, uh, your race, your gender, um, your, you know, whether you have a disability or not. And, and the reason why is other than the fact that it's a jerk kind of thing to do 
is that, you know, you want to give people a fair chance. You don't want to discriminate and get sued, but you also want to create a diverse team of innovators. You want to be able to hire people based on their, their merits and capabilities, not based on what they look like, um, uh, what their beliefs are, but with incarceration, it's, it's like, oh, cool. Now we can, now we can discriminate, you know, that's the one thing that seemingly it's perfectly fine to go ahead. So I, I really do understand the impetus behind the way that you're, that you're positioned. Um, and, and, you know, for what it's worth, I tend to agree. We run a technology company that helps people hire formerly incarcerated people. So I'm all about not discriminating, but our technology is HR focused. So we, we provide a solution that actually m- considers what they consider. I don't think they should hire everyone with a criminal record. Like uh, Arthur said earlier, you know, you need to consider the nature of the crime, the time since the conviction, the nature of the job duties, all of that. And and that's really what our software is aiming to do is to help you have an unbiased approach that helps you hire formerly incarcerated people without having to take on uh, a lot more overhead and time to do the kind of complexities that it takes to, to have like a robust fair chance hiring practice. And, uh, you know, although I believe we should just ban records altogether, that would that would put my business to an end, right? That's how much I believe <laughs> in it is. Uh, but but I don't think that's going to happen today or tomorrow. So we're trying to build a solution that works for companies right now. Arthur, is there anything you want to to add to the, to this? Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, uh, at the end of the day, um, Checker's objective is to make the process as as fair and unbiased as possible. That's what we work toward. Uh, obviously, we're by nature uh, a data company, but our, our core data use case is in the background check space. So um, we do believe there's a there's a balance of fairness and safety and compliance, right? And that, that's ultimately what the the goal of the background check is to provide. You know, how that's being achieved or not is up for debate. Um, but that is the goal. And our goal is to continue to to work toward fairness and lower the barrier without lowering the bar um, and create systems where we can remove the human bias as much as yeah. possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm having a, it's funny, I'm getting a little uncomfortable when we're talking about this stuff. And that's something that is always for me, like a really important flag that there's a critical issue at play. And and that it's really difficult and challenging, right? I mm-hmm. mean, and that's the the same discomfort that people feel when they're when they find out a candidate has a background like that. You know, when it's hard to even know how to talk about these things, and what a barrier that is towards having a, even just a fair conversation about it. You know, how do you guys address that? that discomfort that is must be inevitable amongst people who are, who are hiring, hiring these folks. Uh, I mean, just to chime in from a checker business standpoint, I mean, I think there's two, two perspectives for us. Uh, one is you genuinely care about kind of doing the right things in social justice and, and um, understand that, somewhere between 70 and 100 million Americans have some sort of criminal record uh, that you understand that the criminal justice system, you know, disproportionately impacts communities of people of color. 
Uh, and so there, there are issues uh, that are tied to that and you want a fairer process from a hiring standpoint, uh, in, in which case that's, a, that's an easy sell for us. Um, the other lens for me uh, as a recruiter, first and foremost, is, you know, the, the most important thing in hiring and certainly hiring at scale. Uh, so when, when you're talking about blue collar or high volume hiring roles, we're talking about really hiring at scale. Um, the most important thing from a recruiting standpoint is, you know, what's the top of your funnel look like? Right. And, and uh, it's always a war of attrition. So the, the more candidates you have in play, the better chances you have of hiring. Uh, and, you know, even if you don't believe in the social justice pieces, just from a business standpoint, if you're eliminating, you know, 25, 30 percent of of potential candidates just based on, you know, criminal records, I mean, you're significantly shrinking the pool of candidates that you're operating in and just obviously, you know, in parallel, decreasing your your odds of filling that role, right? And so uh, it just makes good business sense to, to keep the top of the funnel as wide as possible. Uh, and, you know, the fairness piece is, is an added benefit, but even if you don't care about that, just from a business ROI perspective, you know, the more people you have to choose from, the better odds you have of filling a role and pushing your business forward one way or the other. Well said. Did you want to add anything to that, Harley? Yeah, I'm happy to. And again, it's kind of two pieces. One is, as a company ourselves, we're a very small business. You know, America's made up of most jobs are small businesses. And I think it adds an interesting conversation here when you think about, you know, you said companies are putting all this money in tech to figure out how to get the right person into the interview in the first place. But most companies can't afford to do all that. Most companies don't even have HR department because their small businesses ran, you know, ran by five to 20 people. They might not even have an HR person. And, and, and what do those companies do? They sit down, they look you in the eye, they talk to you, they shake your hand. They say, you know what? I got a really good feeling about this person and I, I like them. Let's make them an offer. They find out about the background and then what, what, what does that small business owner do? They reflect on their morals. They say, you know what? I met this person. And do I feel like I was lied to? Do I feel like they were honest with me? And then some people have the conviction to say, hey, you know what? I could have been arrested in my life. That could be me. Or my cousin's been to prison or my mom's been to jail. That's what I think a lot of small business owners do, right? They're not data driven yet. As a company grows, they rely more and more on tech and data and uh, ways to bring efficiency. And you kind of lose that human element of just talking to someone. And that's really where second chance and fair chances come from is when, uh, you know, one way is say, I don't want to know anything about them. Completely unbiased decision processes, which is what a lot of tech does, obviously. The other one is like, I want to know what their skills are, what their attitude is, and if if I feel like I've got someone who's ready to do good work. And then as a hiring manager or an HR professional, if they make it past you, right? Like the background check really shouldn't be an issue because if they were the right candidate, if you, if you interviewed 10 people and this person was the best person for the job, unless there's a direct conflict, right? If you're a software company, there's very few crimes where if they were the best candidate for the job where you should weed them out. If they were the best candidate, there's almost nothing that should weed them out. Obviously, if you're 
a daycare or a school or uh, an old, old folks home or something. It's a little more complex, but that's the approach we believe in because I think if your entire HR department is so scared of someone having a criminal record that it makes them uncomfortable, you need to invest in having your, you know, most MBAs didn't grow up in the same situation of a lot of people that they're hiring, especially when you talk about blue collar work. And they don't know that the people on the plant floor, we work with a lot of manufacturing companies, the people on your plant floor aren't, aren't super uncomfortable being, un- uncomfortable being around somebody with a record the way that you might be, you know? And uh, I think there can be a disconnect between decision makers in large companies and the population that they even serve and even their employees, their entry-level employees. And that disconnect needs to be, if, if you're not aware of it, it would be important to become aware of it because then you can start to bridge that gap and make better decisions. It's a really good point. I mean, one of the things that I struggle with as I, you know, try and help my my fellow HR people is they're so risk averse and and there's always, especially with the large organizations, there's always a lawyer or more than one lawyer um, on retainer that guides their decisions. And, you know, I get it. I get being risk averse. Of course, you should consider risks when you're when you're especially if you're spending tons of money, but don't let it get in the way. You know, and it's so easy. I work at a compliance organization. I'm literally knee deep in in lawyers. I've had them as as uh, bosses, I've had them as colleagues, you know, and I can't tell you how many times uh, an idea that we've had has been shot down because it didn't pass that part that that legal part where it's not like the thing I wanted to do is illegal or wrong or anything. It's just that it has a little too much risk. Got to be careful of the risk. And as a creative individual, that's always been very difficult for me to understand because you have to risk things if you want to, if you want to succeed, especially when you can go find the information, you know, like from people like, like you, that the risk isn't as high as you thought it was. You know, it's, it's people just wanting to work. It's people with a really vested interest in working. They're going to work hard and they're going to be grateful that you gave them a chance. You know, that's true of any person. And, and so when you're at a disadvantage, like someone that come, you know, that was incarcerated, someone, you know, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but getting a chance is a big deal, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when I was on the market, I was, it was in 2011, the recession was still going on. There were no jobs. I mean, I, and I applied everywhere. I had two degrees at that point, uh, which somehow made me less hireable because, you know, I could only find sort of entry level work. And even that I couldn't find, I couldn't really get in. I could get maybe an interview. Just the fact that someone took a chance to let me in, I'm still here. You know, I've had my ups and downs at this organization. I didn't start in editorial. I started in data entry, which is not what I studied. But I mean, I remember that because it was really, it was a really hard time. I was like not, I was not getting calls back. And when I was, I was not getting the jobs, you know, and I did everything I was supposed to do. I went to school. I studied. I, you know, I worked on the resume. I worked on my interview skills. It just wasn't happening. So, I mean, that really, it's, you can't really underestimate the value of something like that. 
the other thing that that I wanted to talk about was um, the fact that some background checks will bring up that you've been arrested, whether you've been convicted or not, right? And I've read anecdotally, and I don't have the figures, um, uh, about a lot of people not getting jobs because they got arrested and then exonerated or they got arrested and not convicted. You know, and you get put in a system and that's what pops up, you know, uh, that's what pops up when you search Google for someone's name because arrest records are often public. Um, how do you guys go about overcoming that issue or overcoming that problem? I mean, I could share my personal experience. Um, if I if I heard the question correct, I can give advice to a job seeker or... Is that, is that the... Sure. 2012, I got out of prison with a GED that I earned in jail before I got sentenced to prison. And, you know, I had no skills, no education, nothing. And what I found was you're absolutely right, that there's really no hiding it. Um, and I was lucky enough to have a job as a dishwasher through a, through a relative who had a friend who owned a restaurant. And thank God I did because I didn't know how truly hard it would be for me to find my next best job. I worked there for a year and a half and then on and off through college as well. And it's terrible and it's not the best advice, but it's what I did. I applied for several jobs and I just kept getting rejected and rejected and rejected. And eventually I stopped telling them about my criminal history and I was applying for jobs with small businesses, like I said, small companies. And on the application, right, this was nine years ago. So sometimes applications still had the box. I would just say no. And at least twice during college, I got hired at a small business where they interviewed me. They thought I was the best candidate. They hired me. I worked there. And they never, apparently they never ran a background check because they hired me. And the truth is, is when you look at like the food service industry, most companies aren't, and or if they are, they're doing the the bare minimum version of a background check. That is not obviously my advice to people. My advice is uh, to network, to build trust with people, to get to know uh, people. Honestly, go to Honest Jobs, my website. We can help you. <laughs> uh, but one thing you pointed out is, you know, I got rejected for an apartment last year. And it's been nine years since I, it's been 10 years since I got convicted and I got rejected for an apartment last year. Two years before that, I got rejected for three apartments when I was looking for a place to live. And I've earned a college degree. I have a business. I, so, so the process is, it's hard. And when people tell you they're struggling, it's not because they're lazy. And I know, you know, that Jim, I can tell that you, you, you know, you, you understand this, but I think it's important for our businesses to understand that these aren't just lazy people. They're trying. Like we see on average that people with criminal records, they're not falling into that category of people who are technically uh, not being counted as unemployed. You know, there's people that are employed, then there's unemployed, then there's people who have stopped looking. Most formerly incarcerated people haven't stopped looking. They're just being rejected a hundred times. And, you know, our research, we found that Formerly incarcerated people take about eight and a half months to find their first job on average, which, you know, is terrible. Um, but I have a YouTube video called How to Hide Your Criminal Record from Google. 
And it's got a lot of views because people know like these days, you know, the small businesses, they might not have a background check, but they probably, they might Google you just to, to learn a little bit more. And if you've ever been arrested, the first thing that's going to pop up is a mugshot and good luck getting that job. If the first thing they see about you is a mugshot. Um, so I, I realize I didn't give a very short, concise, helpful answer, but the answer is the problem is, is very real. So if you're dealing with that problem, you know, you're not alone. There's 28 million something Americans with felonies that are trying to figure out how to get a fair chance at a job and be patient with yourself. Keep trying, look for the resources. Every city has nonprofits and community organizations that can at least be you're one or two people you can talk to when you really need help. And obviously, I don't, I don't want to say it too much, but go to our website. It's free. to, to We can help you find a job. Being on the market is brutal for anybody, especially now, especially with all the technology that, that sifts you out more than it lets you in. Almost all the recruiting tools are made for employers, not for employees. Even the ones that are supposed to be made for employees aren't really made for employees. They're made to be searchable databases for employers. And, you know, I think that maybe hiring managers maybe understand a little bit, but but perhaps business leaders don't, is how much work it takes just to get an interview. Like how it's really basically, I mean, when I was unemployed, it was basically my full-time job to find another job. You know, you got to fill out the form and you go on the next page and fill out the form again. You upload the resume and then you fill out everything that was on your resume. And then you got to write a cover letter. You got to make sure it's flawless because people won't hire you if you make a spelling error most of the time. All to like most of the time, never hear a single thing back. So, you know, your point about how hard um, formerly incarcerated people are working to get their their job. I think it's important for HR people to hear that if you're finding yourself across the desk from somebody with that background, they worked really hard to get there. And that's worth something, you know? Absolutely. We don't have a ton of time left. It's obviously a super complicated issue and there's a lot to talk about, but I want to talk about one last thing, which is the, you know, the, the parallels. I mean, really hiring someone with a, that's a been incarcerated is a diversity hire. I mean, that's what diversity means. It means having a place for everybody at your organization. Um, but there's a lot of parallels between organizations. I know something that um, you actually made me think of, Arthur, when you were talking. A lot of parallels between the approach of hiring, you know, a quote unquote diversity hire. A lot of organizations, especially in the last year, realize how important this is. They don't have their organization set up to really accommodate diverse people. They don't have the inclusion aspect, but they crank up the recruiting aspect. You know, they say, we got to get, you know, we don't have enough uh, diverse people. We need to have more. So we'll just hire more diverse people and it'll all work out, which of course never does. Because if the place isn't really designed to make those people comfortable, to show them that they really do fit in there, there is a place for everyone, they leave. Um, so the question is, because I, I can only imagine that as people identify identify the formerly incarcerated as a potential source of candidates, there's going to be the, the well-guided ones. There's going to be the people that just want that quick, that quick benefit. There's also, I believe there's certain um, benefits that you can get as organizations for hiring um, ex-cons, uh, tax benefits and things like that. How do you 
what advice would you have for an organization that's just sort of getting started with hiring um, people like this uh, to, to be inclusive? Arthur, any thoughts? Yeah, uh, I mean, without uh, plugging too much, we, we Checker did release a Fair Chance playbook um, that you could find online as well. Um, but I think it's it's really, you know, the to kind of go through the high level points of what we think are really important is number one, you just make number one, first and foremost, you have to have buy-in at the top, right? Like everyone has to be aligned that this is important. Um, Cause if you don't have that, it's never going to work. Um, and then again, that it is a form of diversity. And, and so diversity and belonging, you know, having that programmatic integration is really key. Educating your company. Uh, we've done, what's known as a re-entry simulation, which is basically, you know, like a two hour exercise that puts you in the shoes of someone um, coming out of uh, the justice system and, and really giving you a little, little insight into the, I believe they say there's like upwards of like 48,000 legal barriers for people with conviction histories to, to gain employment, right? Like these are serious obstacles. Um, and so just really understanding the struggle so that you build that empathy. Uh, and then really just like, what, what's the goal of accomplishing a fair with what, what are you trying to accomplish with this fair chance program? You know, what do you want that hiring process to look like? Where are the roles that you think you can get people in successfully and, and how do you measure success there? Right. And, and then as Harley mentioned, really important to change how you think about, uh, your hiring practice and, you know, do the simple things like removing years of experience and education requirements from JDs when they're really just window dressing, right? They don't really matter in most cases. Um, moving to a skills-based interview process and, you know, focusing more on strengths and less on tenure. Um, one of the things that are uh, is a key principle for a checkers hiring is we say hire for strength, not lack of weakness, right? Uh, that when someone brings a, a a real strength anywhere, um, we believe that that person can fill the gaps that they have uh, if they just bring this amazing strength, right? Like if someone someone is amazing at something, um, I'm confident that I can teach them other things uh, versus someone who just checks all the boxes but doesn't bring any strengths um, generally isn't going to be amazing for your company. Um and then just making sure that your managers, your hiring managers, and, and your if you have a recruiting team, that they understand fair chance practice, hiring practices, and um, and that they're all aligned in, in how to approach these things. And and also just understand like which segment are the folks that you're targeting. If you're if you're getting folks re-entry, meaning they just came out of the system, you know, you have to understand that they're then there may be a longer ramp up time and, and you need to be willing to invest in that uh, to set people up for success. Um, and then, you know, kind of the same things that you'd give anyone in the diversity realm, which is create psychological safety and, and you know, safe spaces for people to, to feel included within the company and, and the culture and, and things like that. Uh, no different than you know, me being an Asian person, right? I, I'd, I'd want that for myself. It's no different for, for anyone, uh, for people with different sexual preferences and identities. And, and so it's, it's really just applying those same principles 
um, for a different diversity set. Right. Yeah, well said. Uh, anything to add, Harley? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So first, I'd say uh, I, I've done checkers uh, training for it's. I think it's called Fair Assessor. I've done that training. It's a it's a really great uh, training. So I highly recommend checking out the resources that Checker has. There's also the Society for Human Resource Management recently released their uh, Getting Talent Back to Work certification. It's a 10-hour accredited class, and our entire company, everyone's taken those certifications, and they're really pretty robust uh, for an entry level to just to learn about the landscape of fair chance hiring and best practices. Uh, so that's the Society for Human Resource Management's. It's their foundation has a, a certification called Getting Talent Back to Work. Uh, so definitely would recommend that every hiring manager and HR manager should, should look into that. The second thing I want to point out is when I was first looking for employment, one of the most common things I would do is just Google, right? We're all young people are taught to Google. You can find out the answer to anything on Google. If you Google what companies hire felons or what companies hire people with criminal records, you'll find these really horribly outdated like little lists that people have uploaded to the internet saying, hey, these 25 companies hire people with records. What I can tell you is that people with criminal records are actively trying to figure out what companies will give them a fair chance. It's their number one priority, and there's a lot of them. So what I would say is we know as a company, because we do a lot of digital, we reach our users through digital, that there's about 200 different words and phrases that people search when they're when they have a criminal record and they're looking for a job. The number one search term is jobs for felons, which, you know, we're, we're taught, we teach ourselves not to use words like that. We don't call them felons, but they identify themselves as that because they have such a hard time finding a fair chance that they're just like, I just want to cut through all the noise and just figure out who will give me a chance. So the, I say all this to get to the point that when we talk to companies, when we start at the bottom and try to work our way up, we have a very hard time. When we start at the top and work our way down, it's super easy because successful leaders with a life of experience are like, they understand that some of the best people they've come across were not the most credentialed or whatever. So they understand, like, they have some courage of their convictions. And typically leaders are like, yes, of course, we're a fair chance hiring company or a second chance hiring company. But does that actually translate? So, so what I would encourage people to do is just talk to your team and put it out there. Like whatever you got to do to like make it known that you want to consider applicants with criminal histories. And I would say go as far as potentially putting a line at the end of every job description saying we encourage people impacted by the criminal justice system to apply. Yeah. So That's obviously really I know advice. some people won't agree with all of that, but these people are looking for you to tell them that you want to consider them. They're just not finding it because people aren't, you know, putting it out there. And I know putting it out there is a little scary. So you do need to talk to your team and make sure that everyone's on, on board. That's, you know, the most important piece. But that's my advice is the Checker and Sherm training courses are great resources uh, to get started. And then just, just make it known to the world that you want to consider this population. And very beginning, you know, this conversation, this question started with diversity. Uh, you know, there's research that shows one in 17 white men will have a criminal, will have a felony and go to prison, whereas one in three black men will go to prison. Yeah. One in six Latina X people will go to prison. So you can't publicly say 
we care about diversity and we're going to invest $10 million in hiring people of color. If you're not willing to work with the problems that they have historically, and in my opinion, have been unjust over policing and over incarceration, if you're just going to not reconcile for that, then you're wasting your $10 million by saying you're going to, you're going to invest in these uh, communities. So uh, that's my thought. Thank you. No, it's really well said. It's, you know, uh, resonating a lot. I actually want to do this podcast for a long time. It actually started off as I wanted to do an, an article on it about two years ago. And I was searching Google to find companies that hired ex-cons because I wanted, I want to interview them to talk to them. It was part of the reason why I was excited when I got both of your offers within a week of each other. I couldn't find them. I could, I could find, I found a couple that had gone out of business. I, I found some that I wrote to and they never responded. And it just, it wasn't there. Um, and it's the same search, right? I mean, I was, we were both as, as people that are looking for their jobs, we we're looking at the same search. So you're absolutely, you know, for, even from my objective, you know, somewhat third party uh, experience, you're absolutely right. It's difficult to find. Um, took two years for me and really just a lot of dumb luck. Uh, I mean, there were, there's some famous ones, you know, that make, you know, there's like some New York times articles about one company that does it, and, but it's, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to find. Um, I guess that's about all the time that we have right now, but uh, thank you both of you very much for, for taking the time to talk about this. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jim. And, and thanks for, for putting this topic, uh, you know, out there. It's an important one for people to hear. Absolutely. Thank you, Jim. And thank you, Arthur, for joining. I know we're kind of very different, but also similar. I love the the culture of Checker and the mission. And uh, look, I'm not an extremist in the sense that I think we need to burn the world and make everything, you know, every felon should be free to do whatever they want. I completely uh, believe in working with the system we're in. And that's what we're trying to do. And I'd love to, you know, get more involved with Checker. Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're both you're both perfectly welcome. It really was my pleasure. Listeners, we are always interested in suggestions you have for what HR Works should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast with your suggestions or just any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general. We are also now available on Spotify and Audible, so please feel free to find us there if you prefer to listen that way. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.